Matthew, the 12th chapter. Jesus has just been finishing talking about the cost of discipleship, which seems rather odd. That would be talking about the cost of discipleship over the last several months when a lot of people don't want to give anything. Jesus taught clearly that if you're going to be his follower, it's going to cost you everything. You've got to be willing to surrender everything in your life to God, even some of your money. Oddly enough, that didn't have too much of an effect on people, but that's what he just taught. Then, we pick it up here, and it says here, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. So as a result of their hunger, they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Not my idea of a snack. If your idea of filling up is pick some heads of grain and chew them, that's a lousy snack, but that's what they were doing. But when the Pharisees saw this, they were infuriated. They said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. What is he talking about? In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a big deal. We don't talk about it much in the New Testament. It's not the same emphasis it was. We don't live under the Levitical law. But under the true Levitical law, the Sabbath is Saturday. No one is supposed to work at all. If you're Jewish, you don't work on Saturday. That's the way, that's the rule. Okay? But... God would say, don't work, and then they came and they became legalistic about it and added to it. Well, that means you can't take so many steps, and you can't pick heads of grain, and you can't do this. They made it oppressive so that when Saturday hit, everybody just lived in fear and you could hardly move, which was never the point. Uh, that's what legalism does. Now, sometimes people say that uh, our church is legalistic because we talk about what's right and wrong. Right and wrong is not legalistic. Legalism is when you add to right and wrong. See, we've gone to the opposite. I know a lot of people have come out of churches where they were real, real legalistic and they picked every little rule and had rules for everything. That is legalism. That is not helpful. That's why a lot of you got out of those churches. But a lot of churches then began becoming this, just these grace-oriented churches where they don't talk about anything. That's the other extreme. We still have to talk about God's basic rules. You're not supposed to lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, all the other stuff. These are very clear things that the New Testament emphasizes very strongly that we should or should not do you should not do some of those things you should be generous you should volunteer lots of things that 80 percent of people never do okay so we got all of this stuff this is what you're supposed to do that's not legalism to say you should not commit adultery which we talk about that around here is not legalistic legalism would be say because you should not commit adultery from now on no men and women should shake hands out in the foyer because that could lead to adultery. And uh, all the women will sit on this side of the church. And all the men will sit on that side of the church. And keep the middle empty so that you can't possibly commit adultery. Okay? And we're going to take it to the next step. All the women are going to have to wear bags on their heads. <laughs> so the men won't lust after you. Because then they won't commit adultery. Which are positive that is some of you will be on time. Because you won't have to put on your makeup. Uh, <laughs> That's always a positive everything, you know. Well, that's legalism. We're not legalistic around here. Legalism would be like, the rule is, you can't play in the street. You tell each other, you can't play in the street. Well, legalism would come along and say, because you can't play in the street, you can't play in the yard. Because if you play in the yard, you might go into the street. So from now on, you can't play in the front yard, you got to sit in the backyard. Okay? And then legalism comes along and says, no, 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 because that could lead to the front yard. Which could lead to the street. No one can leave the house. And then we come, and, and all the curtains have to be shut. Because if you look out the window, you'll be tempted to go into the backyard, which would lead to the front yard, and eventually into the street. 
Well, that's legalism. Now you're all living in the basement dying of radon poisoning. <laughs> Nothing has been accomplished. That's legalism. That's what we're talking about around here. We're not legalistic at the church. We don't all have little pity, little brain dead rules about this, that, and the other. But we will talk about God's righteousness. We need to do these things. We need to avoid doing the other things. Okay? So anyway, these guys just had a fit because they had gotten it down to the point that if you picked a grain of wheat off of our stalk and ate it, you were in violation of the Sabbath. Well, Jesus said, you guys, haven't you read where David, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the, own, the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. He tells a story about when David and his buddies were starving. They broke into the church and ate a bunch of food they weren't supposed to eat and took off again. Oh, God didn't have a fit about it. You know, he was flexible. Uh, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath day, uh, Sabbath duty in the temple, desecrate the Sabbath yet are innocent? And they're working. They're not guilty. In other words, he said, just relax a little bit. He says, I tell you that someone greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't intended to make you miserable. It was intended to be a day of rest and out of respect. To God. Well, going on from that place, that place, they went into their synagogue. He went into their synagogue, and there was a man there with a shriveled hand. We don't know if he was born that way, if it was an injury, whatever. But looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, these Pharisees, the religious people, said, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath?" I mean, not not only not only couldn't you pick heads of grain, you couldn't even do something nice for somebody. They had lost their ever-loving minds. You talk about legalism. These people are crazy. And then Jesus said, look, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? He knew that was one of their rules that they would allow. Got to protect the sheep. Okay. Livestock, can't risk that. Well, he says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Very cool. Just as sound as the other. What a miracle. You'd think everybody would go, wow, look at that. Holy cow, this is cool. This is an exciting guy. Is that what the religious people did? No. The next verse says the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. These people were crazy. They took crazy to a new level. Crazier and all that. The reason they tried, they eventually crucified him was because he did nice things. But broke their stupid little rules. Out of their minds. Anyway, aware of this, aware of what? That they wanted to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place, which is a good plan. When they're trying to kill you, best to move on. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill, and he warned them not to tell others about him. Uh, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. In other words, he did it kind of on the down low. He wasn't trying to get all kinds of attention to himself. You know, he was healing and ministering to people. He said, don't, don't make a big deal of it. Don't tell everybody. Uh, which they went and did anyway. But uh, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament talking about the Messiah that was to come. And one of the signs of the prophecy of the Messiah was he was going to be kind of down key, low key about it. He wasn't going to be screaming for attention. And Matthew, several times now as we've been reading Matthew, he stops and says, and he pulled it verse out of the Old Testament to show that this was Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, proving that he was the Messiah. So he does it here again. So he talks about how Jesus was real quiet about what he was doing. And then he said, this was fulfilled, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, 
in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. In other words, he was very quiet about. He would be very quiet about what he's doing. A bruised reed he will not break. A smothering wick he will not stuff out, snuff out. All, all images of just this very low-key guy until he's brought justice through victory through to victory in his name the nations will put their hope so what he's saying is jesus fulfilled this is another prophecy that shows jesus was the messiah then it says then they brought to him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute and jesus healed him does that mean all blind and mute people are demon possessed it does not but this guy was blind and mute because of a demon and Jesus healed this guy, got rid of the demon, so that now he could both talk and see. Another miracle. And at this point, the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? They're a little on the slow on the uptake, these guys. They're finally getting a picture. This is no ordinary guy. This Jesus of Nazareth, who is this guy? He's not just a teacher. He's not just a religious guy. He's just not a prophet. He's doing stuff nobody has ever done. There's not even a big yo mama prophet in the Old Testament that's done miracles like this guy. And to this day, there is no one who even so much as claims to have done anything as great as what Jesus did. And all the records talk of the miracles that Jesus did. It's what sets him apart. That's how we know. One of the ways that we know, in fact, he was the Messiah, the fulfillment. There's not a prophet. There's not a, you know, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius. Nobody, nobody in the history of mankind did anything like what Jesus did. So they're seeing these miracles and they finally said, could this be the son of David? Now the son of David was a phrase for the Messiah because the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. They're asking, could this guy be the Messiah? Look what he's doing. Well, when the Pharisees heard this, they had a fit because they were already trying to kill him. And they said, it's only by Beelzebub, which is another word for Satan, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. No, he's not the Messiah. He's just, he's a servant of the devil. Now that really ticked Jesus off. Uh, as you know, God and Satan don't exactly get along. And uh, when he said, you are now assigning what God is doing to something that Satan is doing. And then he goes into this rant. Okay, and we're going to read it. It's not too long. We'll go through this real quick and end. But he said, so he responds very strongly. He says, he knew what they'd said. He knew the thoughts and said, listen, every kingdom divided itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? He says, guys, that doesn't even make any sense that I'm by the power of Satan driving out Satan. Uh, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So they will be your judges. But if it's by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And talking about the power of the kingdom of God, he says, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. How can Satan do that to himself? Uh, whoever is not with me, he says, is against me. Whoever is, does not gather with me scatters. So I tell you, every kind of sin... And, by the way, I mean, stop and think of the implication here. If you don't do one thing, you're really doing the opposite. Whoever is not with me is against me. Who does not gather scatters. You know, there, there is no doing nothing. I know those people, even as I challenge the 80% who do nothing, you're not just doing nothing. You're hurting the kingdom of God. If you're part of the kingdom of God, if you're not, that's one thing. But if you're part of the kingdom of God, there is no neutral. Okay? You're hurting. You can't just be in a place of, I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting here quiet minding my own business. It doesn't work that way. 
Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather, scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Thank God. Because we all have lots of them. They can all be forgiven. But this is how mad he is when he went about that statement about this being Satan. He says, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. It's the only sin the Bible says God will never forgive. Is when you see there's something that God is doing and you're saying Satan's doing it. Whoa. He will not tolerate that. Jesus goes on and says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man. In other words, you can speak against me. You can use my name in vain. Lots of people do that. You know. You can do all this kind of stuff against me. That will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or the age to come. It will never be made right. Wow. This is one sin you don't want to get anywhere close to. Thankfully, it's not one that people are given to, by and large. Mainly because of the implications here. you got a lot of people using God's name in vain. You have a lot of people using Jesus' name in vain. You know, your whole lot of blasphemies against the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he goes on again. He's so ticked that they would use this, this. This really got under his skin. The idea that you would say that what God was doing was really Satan. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree will be recognized by its fruit. In other words, if I'm doing good things, how can that be that I'm evil? That makes no sense. Any more than a person who claims to be good but does evil says that I'm good. There's a shocker for some people. We act and do very badly, but we think we're okay. You're not okay. Your fruit shows what you're really made of. What you do or you do not do reflects greatly on who you are as a believer. Okay? He says, uh, you brood of vipers. He calls them a bunch of snakes. He's really ticked. How can you who are evil say anything good? You guys are rotten to the core. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, out of the heart is what you hear from people's mouths. Now, I know a lot of people, they try to c- control their mouths. Some, pe- some of you have a mouth problem. Some of you got really nasty, dirty mouths. You curse like truck drivers and you say nasty things. Oh, I got to watch my mouth. Your problem isn't your mouth. Your problem is your heart. The mouth is just showing what's in your heart. You focusing on your mouth does nothing. You trying to watch what you say does nothing. You have a heart problem. You're cursing God and doing all kinds of nasty things, saying terrible things about people, blah, blah, blah. You got a heart problem. Focus. Get this right. Say, God, fix this in me. Because what is in the heart is what comes out of your mouth. Um, da, 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 da. And then he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up with him. But I tell you that everyone, everyone, will have to give an account on the day of judgment. Have you noticed how many times Jesus has referred to the day of judgment? For people who love to talk about grace, and oh, we don't have to worry about anything, it's amazing that our Lord constantly was warning us a day of judgment. The day of judgment's coming. The day of judgment's coming. Hello, hello, hello. We will all have to give an account. Now again, you don't earn salvation by what you do. Salvation only comes through Christ. But there's still an accounting that we have to stand before God and give answers to. And I, I fear that our, you know, our churches, <laughs> one of the reasons I think our country is such a mess is our churches are such a mess. We have people, 80% to 90% of most people in churches do nothing. They give little to nothing. They never volunteer. They can't barely be inconvenienced. If it so much as blows the wind too hard, they won't show up. 
you know, if it's a Packer game, it could be, you know, hailing fire from hell, and they'd still show up and cheer. We can't, we can't, we can't hold that back. You know, it can be 95 below zero. They're all still going to be there. Woo! But if it's, you know, oh, no, it's a snowflake. Ah! In the South, it's rain. My brother's church. If it rains, they don't come to church. Slackers. Uh, at least it's really nasty when we don't come to church. They can't be inconvenienced at all. They give nothing. They do nothing, 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 nothing. And 10 to 20% of the people carry all the weight. And I think to the 80%ers, what, what are you thinking? Look, I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I'm really not. I'm trying to warn you, all y'all, even over in Stevens Point, in Appleton. Appleton's way down south. All y'all down there. There's a day we all are going to stand before God. I don't know what people are thinking. You realize we're all going to die, right? Everybody's got that down. We're all checking out of this joint. Nobody gets out of here alive. Well, not today. I'm not going to kill y'all, but... <laughs> oh, it's a cult. They're going to kill us all. No, no, I didn't, we didn't mean that. I mean, nobody gets out of this life alive. We're all, we all die. I've used this analogy before. Think about the last 20 years of your life. How fast did it go? Right? Most of us get four or five of these. And that's it. Some of us only have one left. <laughs> it's kind of depressing. <laughs> the clicks are going fast, you know. Why, do, why spend all of your energy, all your time, all your money, all your emotions, all your free time just on you? What do you think you're going to say when you get to your last... And you stand before God. Uh, sorry. Seriously? Now look, I, it doesn't going to affect me. I'll tell you what, Will, at least you're not going to be able to point a finger at me and say, I didn't warn you. I warn you all the time. The one thing Jesus was constantly telling people about, the day of judgment. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. Think about the day. Think about, plan for eternity. Only a fool ignores what's obviously coming. If you're sitting on a train track where there are no trains, that's fine. When you're sitting on a train track and you know at a certain time the train is coming, you're kind of an idiot. If you're sitting on the train track and you can see the train coming, you're a moron. All right? The train is coming. What are you doing? I don't have to do anything. Really? Is that what you think? Listen to this. He says, I tell you, everyone, that on the, they have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Oh man, that kind of bites. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. Even our words we're going to have to give an account for. And you don't think you're going to have to give an account for the fact that you never volunteered or did a stinking thing ever or gave even a penny? You think that's not going to show up? That's not part of the equation? It's a big part of the equation. Again, we don't do these things to make God love us. You could give a gazillion dollars and still be in unbelief and still go straight to hell. Why? It's not money that buys you into heaven. You could be the nicest person in the world and give your body to be burned in saving someone else's life and it still won't buy you into heaven. The only thing that buys you into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. That we have forgiveness and kindness and grace through Jesus Christ. Yes. The Bible says it's not by works that we have been saved. We've been saved by grace so that we can do good works. 
That's the part we don't get. We love the part we don't have to buy it. Woo, it's free. Everybody loves free. Woo! Okay, salvation is free. But now because we are saved, we need to do the right things. And there will be a day that we will all have to give an account of what we've done with what God has given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you for money. We thank you for all the things you've given us. Our problem, Lord, that we're looking at today is what do people do with the time, the health, the life, the money they have? So many, Lord, just keep it all for themselves. Help us as people of faith to realize we have a day coming. Help us to take eternity seriously. Help us not to be so caught up in today that we don't think about eternity. Help us to live lives that will matter forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.